Well, let me welcome back Kevin Luco to here to Systematically Wild. Kevin, uh, man, tough week across the board there in the Minnesota Wild organization. He, yeah, I am. If you're if you're coming on to this show to look for a lot of positives, I, folks, I, I think it'd be a quick show if we just dwelled upon the positives. So, excuse <laughs> us if it. Um, this week's episode comes off as um, a little bit on the on the pessimistic, depressing side. Well, let's start with the positive, though. Heartlanders travel out there to take on Fort Wayne, split the weekend, nice sat- take a four to one loss on Saturday, but rebound with a nice three to two victory on Sunday. And uh, you know, for for a team looking to try to keep themselves in the playoff picture, lots of games out there left, but battling a division opponent that you can take one of two games on their ice, you got to feel pretty good about that weekend. I think you do, and it was a huge performance by Drew DeRitter in the Nets, who really hasn't had a ton of action this season, but he came up big on the road for them. Before talking about that first game, Kevin, Peyton Jones is the guy who stayed up with Des Moines, and Hunter Jones comes down. He is the guy who took the loss on Saturday. But I'm wondering in your thoughts, is this the organization saying, we want Hunter Jones playing as much as possible, so let's send him to the ECHL club? Or is this the organization saying, Peyton Jones is the guy next up that we believe to stay at the AHL level? I I think it's a matter of playing time. They wanted to get get um, Hunter Jones um, playing action in. Because the plan this weekend was Jesper Volstead playing two games for the Iowa Wild. And, you know, they didn't want to have Hunter Jones just sitting there all weekend just backing up Volstead when they know Volstead's playing both games. So I think they wanted to put Hunter in the position in which he would get some play in action. Well, let's start on Saturday night, a wild first period that saw Iowa have 16 shots and Fort Wayne 12. Both teams scored a power play goal. Anthony Ferriola, I believe is the way that's said, uh, scores his second goal of the season to put Iowa on top 225 into the contest, but it is all Fort Wayne from there. Uh, Matt Wedman ties the game with a power play goal with a little over five minutes left in the first. Then the Comets score three times in the second. Jones, a little bit of a tough stretch, but 39 shots, saves 35 of them. Uh, they get one late goal in the, at the end of the second period, kind of a tough spot that he was in. It winds up, you know, not, not much I thought he could have really done on that goal. Fort Wayne scoring two goals in the final two minutes of that period, then hanging on after that. 20 shots on net in the second. I thought he just kind of wore down a little bit, which is, you know, most goaltenders will after facing 20 shots. That's a lot of shots to face in one period. So they take the loss. I, I didn't think there was a very disappointing performance by Jones. Uh, I was a little surprised with the struggles of the offense a little bit. Fort Wayne uh, has Tyler Parks going for them, who sent some decent numbers, but isn't a guy I thought that would have as much success as he did in that game, Kevin. No, he didn't. And, you know, was, like you said, it was a decent outing for the Heartlanders on the road. As you mentioned, Drew DeRitter plays very well on Sunday, Kevin. He stops 43 shots in a 3-2 to victory. 
Iowa scores a goal in each period. Max Johnson scores twice, first at 15.46 of the first, then adds one at 7.36 of the second to give him three, uh, three goals on the year. Jack Dugan cuts the deficit to one with his eighth goal of the season, but Jake Durflinger with his fourth goal of the season, another power play goal for the Heartlanders, extend the lead back to three to one. Fort Wayne able to cut the deficit back to one again with an Ethan Keppen goal, his seventh of the season at 12.50, but it is Drew DeRitter from then, Kevin. He winds up stopping, as I mentioned, 43 shots, including 21 in the third period, 16 that Fort Wayne had in the second period, 38 shots in the last two periods of the game, Kevin. That's, I mean, 22 shots, I was just thinking, you know, that, that's a that's a full night's work a lot of times in the AHL or, or, or NHL. So a Drew, man, he had, he had quite the outing there. He's very capable of that. Last season playing for North Dakota, I saw him in a game against a very high-powered University of Minnesota offense. And DeRitter, DeRitter single-handedly kept North Dakota in that game, and North Dakota eventually won in overtime. And it was the same scenario where he just made a ton of saves. So... You know, it's good to see that he got some playing time. And frankly, you know, if it came to be where if they needed him as a number one goalie, I I, I think he could be a very good goalie in this league. I think you're absolutely right. And, and you know, I, I think there hasn't been a lot of hype around him or, or at least a greater amount of respect because of the fact that he's always been looked at as, the extra goalie filling in when that guy got called up or something like that, but boy, he's proven himself to be the real deal. And uh, the club looks like they, you know, they can lean on him. It, you know, in a three-game series, knowing that he can come in for one or two of those games, they got to feel pretty comfortable knowing he, he's between the pipes. Yeah, you know, give him credit too for sticking with it. You know, sometimes when you're a number three goalie, I, I can imagine where. It'd be easy, easy for your mind to wander and think, okay, what am I doing here? I'm not playing much. What's, is this good for my career? But, um, you know, give give DeRitter credit when he's had a chance to play. He's made a good accounting for himself. Well, it's going to be an interesting little stretch for the Heartlanders, Kevin, as they travel to Tulsa. So they jump out of the vision, move it into the mountain to travel to take on the Oilers, a team right now that is battling in the Central Division, trying to keep themselves afloat. Or the, excuse me, in the Mountain Division. I've said Central. In the Mountain Division, they're currently in fourth at 15-15-3. and three. Uh, What are they? Tied with Allen, but one, one, uh, but a little bit behind in the standings just because Allen has one more victory than them. They actually have the better winning percentage. Um, they're, they're chasing to ensure that they're third or fourth as Idaho and Kansas City are running away with that division right now. But Tulsa, very difficult arena to go in and play at, the BLK Center. Then the team returns home to have a a day off and then a Monday afternoon game welcoming the Cincinnati Cyclones on Martin Luther King Day before having the rest of the week off for the All-Star game, um, which will be the following weekend. Oh, no, excuse me, before they welcome Wheeling. I'm sorry, I'll start to get a little bit up from there. My apologies. Before welcoming Wheeling to come to town. So, uh, interesting little stretch that they're going to have right here. Two in Tulsa, one in Cincinnati next Monday. And uh, the the contest I look at is, well, the the Tulsa one, you, you want to try to get at least a couple of points out of there. You know, you're not really hurt if you don't get 
a, a significant success there because you get a chance against Cincinnati, a team that you're trailing directly in front of you four points ahead. So you get that chance to go back against a division opponent right before Wheeling comes to town. Yeah, I and I I don't know. I I don't recall them ever playing in Tulsa before. No, I don't think so. No, I think Tulsa came to Iowa the first year, maybe at the very end of the la- the first season, because I I believe that I had their broadcaster on the show one time. I think that that's true. They might have gone to Tulsa at the end of the very first season that they were in existence, but. It's been a long time. It's been at least 18 months since they faced the team. So it'll be interesting to see how they put, they face off against each other. You know, that's got to be a pretty long haul, too, to go all the way to Tulsa and then just to turn it around and come back home once again. Yep. Tulsa's not right off the highway there. So, so no. going to be moving in a little bit. Well, let's jump up to the AHL, Kevin. Grand Rapids came to town, comes away with identical 4-1 to victories on Friday and Saturday. Uh, Jesper Volstead, as you mentioned, came in and played in both of those contests so they could get him a, a little uh, playing time coming off of an injury there. And, uh, I mean, he, he looked okay, uh, just didn't really get much offensive support. No, I'm pretty, you know, from the goal, some of the goals I saw, he didn't get much defensive support either. You know, guys left alone out front. Um, you know, there's only so much a goal he can do. But, boy, I mean, yeah, it I, was the, – the weekend was just not set up for success. And I'm not really surprised by the results. You know, I, I thoroughly agree with the fact that this defense did not play very well in front of him. But I'm just looking at this; these penalty-killing units for this team are just, I don't want to say dreadful, but wow. <laughs> I mean, it seems like every week we talk about the fact that they gave up two power play goals on Friday and two power play goals on Saturday or, or something. It's just like it doesn't seem like this units are able to really shut anybody down. No, it seems to be a systematical problem because, you know, obviously the we've talked about, before about the penalty kill at the NHL level, and now you bring in a new coach with Cody France, and then maybe it's a thing where players are having to adjust to the way he wants the penalty kill to be ran. So, you know, it's a learning curve there. But, you know, I think the other issue is, too, that you know, it's um, constant um, move around the player personnel. You know, right now, Damon Hunt and Dakota Mermis are both up in the big club. You know, that's two quality defensemen that you're missing off of your blue line. So, so much of your penalty kill, obviously, is predicated on how strong you are on the blue line. And right now, it's just not a strength for this wild team. Well, let's begin on Friday night. Tim Gettinger scores his eighth goal of the season, a power play goal with two minutes and two seconds left in the first. Grand Rapids not done as they score a second goal with 39 seconds left to take a 2-0 lead into the first period intermission. Iowa does battle back to tie, to, excuse me, to cut the deficit to one when Louis Boudon scores his first AHL goal at 11.41 of the second, but uh, Grand Rapids seals the victory in the third. Joel Esperance gets his a power play goal, his 10th of the season, excuse me, 
Um, and then they get a, a penalty shot later on with Dominic Shine scoring on the penalty shot to make it 4-1. to one. Two power play goals on two chances for Grand Rapids. Iowa goes 0-4 for four on the power play. If you add in the penalty shot, it's really three power play goals on three power play opportunities. Just a very tough night for this club. They do get one assist in the contest that went to Casey Dornbach. Um, Jesper Vall said with 19 saves. And again, I don't think he looked bad at all, Kevin. No, and, uh, you know, those are the kind of games, I guess, the report Minnesota wants to get from Iowa is how did he look? How was, how was he moving around? Did he show any signs from the injury? Then, you know, the, the stats are a little bit inconsequential. You know, if they would have popped in seven or eight on him, yeah, that's a problem. But I think they just wanted to know if he was healthy and moving well in the net. So, you know, the game, like I said, it was not set up for success as with all the injuries with Minnesota. You had so many of your better players that are up with Minnesota currently. I mean, you have your... I think the Louis Boudin, he was getting, I believe, on an all-Heartlanders line, and they were like the third line. So there just was not a lot cooking on the offensive side on Friday night or Saturday night. On Saturday, uh, Jonathan Berggren scores his eighth goal of the season to make it one nothing for Grand Rapids. Uh, they are able to jump out a 3 nothing lead by scoring two goals early in the second period. Sammy Walker, with a, a, a great read uh, in the neutral zone, winds up creating an opportunity for himself and scoring his sixth goal of the season to cut the deficit to two. But Josiah Didier winds up scoring an empty net shorthanded goal to seal the victory. Grand Rapids adds one more power play goal in that contest. They go one for three on the power play. Iowa goes 0 for four on the power play once again. Volstead with 25 saves and 28 shots on net. And that is your weekend, Kevin. Back to back, four to one losses against Grand Rapids. Yeah, it was, like I said, going into it, I think this is a, would be about what you're expecting. And, you know, it's kind of unfortunate for the fans to come out to that they don't really get to see the team as it was constructed. But, you know, that's. That's the nature of minor league sports and minor league hockey in particular that, you know, your AHL team is a feeder team to the NHL. But sometimes it leaves you a bit shorthanded and you just got to make do with what you got. And, you know, you, then you throw the injuries on top of it with Jujar Kara still out, Nick Sweeney still out, Adam Beckman out. You know, there's a lot of. A lot of talent on this team that's either injured or up with Minnesota, and it just, you know, it just makes it hard to win. And you just hope that they get some bodies back and get some bodies healthy before they end up getting buried in the division standings. Well, if you're looking for a little bit of a break, Kevin, the team is going to travel out to San Diego. It's the first way that they're going to get away from this cold, snowy weather. Uh, get an opportunity to play out there in Southern California over the weekend. But against a goals team that right now is dead last in the Pacific Division, 9-16-5, and five, uh, just really struggled so far. Be- played a lot of close games, I'm, I'm going to tell you. just I mean, the, the goal differential for them is, is 
just minus 11 for a team seven games under 500. So that's pretty good if you get down to it. Um, so, you know, I think this presents a very opportune time for this club to have some warm weather, an opportunity to get away from Iowa and, and not feel the pressure of the home crowd, you know, getting a little antsy and play a team that's struggling themselves. Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what players are making the trip. If um, I know Minnesota is starting to get healthier, so I mean, could they be having some guys um, getting sent down soon to help out uh, Iowa? Because I know, like, um, Jake Lucchini was just announced this afternoon as getting sent down to Iowa, so he'll be making the trip out to. San Diego, which I'm looking up his stats right now to see how much he is playing, but they could be running into an old friend of the Iowa Wild out there, Alex Stalock, who is um, a goaltender out there. Not having much luck in the win column, 1-7 this year, but a 3.77 goals against average and an 89 save percentage. So maybe we'll be seeing Stalock in action against his old team. Yeah, before jumping up to the NHL, Kevin, I, I'm just kind of curious about your thoughts about this Chicago Wolves team because you know it didn't seem like very long ago that they were buried in the bottom of this division. It looked like, man, that decision to go unaffiliated was really going to hamper them. But showing some sign of life, they they lost the first, excuse me, the last four games of, of December, two and one so far in January, and had a couple of big victories. I, you know. Could this team be a, a serious playoff contender, do you think? Well, possibly, because, you know, when you're not at the whim of your parent team, I mean, you can keep the, the gang together and get the right parts built and make a run of it and not have to worry about guys getting called up. So, you know, it is possible that, Maybe it took a little while with this being a first-time thing with um, trying to put a team together without a, a parent club. But, you know, it could, um, could be this team's just going to get better as the year goes on. Well, let's jump up to the big club, Kevin. And a, a tough beginning of the week, two games at home. They lose 3-1 to one to Calgary on Tuesday, then 4-1 to one to Tampa Bay on Thursday. Do salvage the week and look like it could get disastrous to them, but they're able to get an overtime victory in Columbus four to three on Saturday. Right now, losing tragically to Dallas four nothing. As you and I are speaking, your overall thoughts on the week? You know, not really surprised by the results. I thought they played very good against Calgary on Tuesday. Uh, Tampa Bay was a pretty sluggish effort. But the returning Matt Zuccarello, I believe, gave them a bit of a spark on Saturday night. They beat a not very good Columbus team and did an overtime in a pretty entertaining game. But then, you know, Dallas is amongst the cream of the crop in the league right now. And although, you know, for a while Minnesota dominated the game tonight on the shots, Dallas was able to make the most of what opportunities they had. I believe two shorthanded goals tonight, if I'm not mistaken. And it's just not a good night for the Wild. 
So let's begin on Tuesday. Great goaltending battle between Jacob Markstrom and Marc-Andre Fleury. Calgary scores two goals in the, fir- in the first period. Minnesota able to battle back to cut the deficit in half in the second, but an empty net goal with uh, 57 seconds left in the contest seals it for Calgary. 3-1 to one victory for the Flames. Marc-Andre Fleury looked pretty good in this game, Kevin. I, I thought, you know, a couple of early goals, um, one kind of a tough one at the end of the first period there, but overall I thought played very well. Yeah, played solid. He definitely deserved a better fate, but did not get it. Yeah, so he winds up with, oh, i got to scroll down here just a minute. He winds up with 30 saves in the contest. You can't argue with a 938 save percentage, so that, that that's pretty good stuff right there. As uh, Kevin explained, Tuesday night, a scoreless tie, excuse me, Thursday night, a scoreless tie after one against Tampa Bay, but the Lightning scored two goals in the second period, then add another one at the beginning of the third to make it a 3 nothing lead. Minnesota able to cut that deficit down to 3-1, to one, but and another empty net goal with, this time with 41 seconds left in the contest, seals the victory for the Lightning. A big 4-1 to one loss. Tampa Bay winds up, uh, excuse me, getting... 29 shots on Marc-Andre Fleury in this game. He saves 26 of them, Kevin. You know, it's the same situation. You know, you have a lot of call-ups playing, and you would hope that one or maybe even two of them would would grab that opportunity and run with it, but I just... There just was not much um, happening offensively for Minnesota. And I thought Michael Russo, the athletic, made a really good point on Sammy Walker, you know, someone we know very well from Iowa. Six goals, as he mentioned, this year for Iowa. Where I think we're, this, you know, almost quoting Russo, I think we're finding out that a lot of Sammy Walker's success last year came as a result of being on the line with Marco Rossi without that lifeline this year. He just hasn't been the same player. And I I just thought in his stint, um, which I think consisted maybe two games with Minnesota last week, I mean, he was, he was pretty much invisible. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about that observation too, Kevin, I mean, just looking at this game, for example, there's eight guys who played for Minnesota on Thursday night who played with the Iowa Wild this season or last season. And if you look across that list, Matt Boldy's, you know, gotten his game back on pace, was kind of vacant this week. You know, he didn't see a lot. But but this season, he's he played pretty well for the club. But like Duhame and, and Rossi and Connor Dewar. I, mean, I wasn't expecting Connor Dewar to have huge numbers, but Jake Lucini you mentioned out there, they're just not bringing offense to, to this club. And I'm wondering if these are guys that are just filling a role because Minnesota doesn't have any alternative, but they're not going to really be offensive stars for this Minnesota Wild, which I think says this team might be in trouble in the long run. I think you uh... – Kind of throw Nick Patan in there too as someone who's been very good at the AHL level, but he just did yeah. not has not done much with his opportunities with the big club. And you know, fast forward to Saturday night, Patan let his guy go by him for a 
go-ahead goal against Columbus, and I don't think he saw the ice for the rest of the game. So, you know, Rossi and Boldy, I mean, those those guys are going to be stars in this team for a long time, but you hope that the guys that weren't draft picks that got that opportunity, you'd hope someone would have made an impression, but really nobody has. Well, let's jump to Saturday. Uh, exciting game. Uh, excuse me. Columbus winds up taking the lead a little over eight minutes into the contest, but Matt Boldy comes alive on Saturday, scores a power play goal to tie the game with a little over five minutes left. Again, Columbus takes a, a one-goal advantage, scoring very early on in the second, but Boldy responds with his second power play goal of the game, his 13th of the year. Once again, Sillinger scores his third goal of the game, but this time it's not Boldy. It's Johansson comes up with his fifth goal of the season with 132 left in the game. Great gutsy performance by this team to battle and ensure that they got it to overtime. Then this goes to overtime where Marco Rossi scores the game to give the team the 4-3 to three victory. Crazy sequence at the end of the game where uh, Minnesota shot the puck in the Columbus zone. It would have been icing, but for some reason, Columbus's goalie, Tarasov, came out and played it. And then at the other end, Columbus nearly had an open open net goal as Fleury was heading to the bench for an extra attacker. Fleury made a U-turn and may have rushed the shot for the Columbus player, ended up going wide, and then coming back down the ice, Marcus Johansson gets a shot on Tarasov, and um, well, let's just say it was a leaker that came went through to tie the game, and then in overtime, Fleury makes a great save on a one-timer, and then on the next play, Marco Rossi comes back, buries a goal for the Minnesota win. You know, you think about it, Kevin, how many times do you see where your goaltender makes an unbelievable save and then it goes back the other direction and you get a goal. And it just seems like that. I don't know if it's the position of everybody or the shock of you didn't get the goal or whatever, that your team winds up giving a goal up right almost right away. And it, 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 I, I see that happen so often in, in, uh, in all levels of hockey during year. It, it, it's one of the most exciting turnaround moments I think you see in sports. You know, as, as I was watching the game, as many guys – went down and congratulated Fleury as they did graduating, uh, congratulating Marco Rossi for scoring the winning goal. Granted, Fleury tied Patrick Waugh in the win column for all-time wins with the win, but I think a lot of them recognize the fact that um, Fleury saved the game with that save. As Kevin mentioned, he ties uh, Patrick Waugh, 551 wins, that's still a very, very, very long way from Martin Brodeur, who has 691 all-time. Probably never be broken. Uh, I don't think so. I, I think it's going to be one of those hockey records that nobody's ever going to touch. Yeah, I, I think you're 100% correct with that. But still, 551 victories is a heck of a lot. That's a very impressive number for him. He winds up finishing up in the contest with 26 saves uh, in, in the victory out there. Uh, Matt Boldy with two goals and an assist in favor with three assists in the contest, each with three points. So great kind of turnaround performance there to come up with 
the victory on the road. And as Kevin and I were talking to you about, as I think we're are we at the end of this game right now, or we're closing in on the end of a four nothing likely loss against Dallas here tonight. Yeah, not much to say about tonight. The offense dried up again, and a couple shorthanded goals for Dallas, and it's not Minnesota's night. So four straight losses at home now, Kevin, if, if this game stays the way that it is. They ha- travel to Dallas on Wednesday, but then head uh, head home again for Philadelphia on Friday, Arizona on Saturday, and then the New York Islanders on Martin Luther King Day. I mean, you would like to think at this time of the year that it would be exciting to have a three-game homestand in four days, but I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing right now. Not if this offense can't get back on track. That's going to be the key. You know, last year when Kaprizov was off, out after an injury, it seemed like it ignited a lot of guys, and they didn't seem to miss a beat. But right now, other than the outburst in Columbus on Saturday, the offense just can't quite get it on track. And Kaprizov and Jonas Brodine have both been skating a bit. Uh, Marcus Foligno returned to the lineup tonight. So slowly but surely, this team is starting to find its health again. But you just hope that they can manage to stay in the playoff race when they get their guys back. So an interesting thing to watch this week, Kevin, I, I would believe is you, you figure that Flurry is going to be your, you know, your your number one guy for the vast majority of games this week. But with that Friday Saturday back to back there, Jesper Wallstead, does, does he get his first NHL start on uh, on Saturday? You think? You know, there's talk that Wallstead might get the start in Dallas on Wednesday because he's had. Two really good games down there, preseason, mind you, but uh, on nights when Dallas played most of their star players, he's had success down there. But we should mention, too, you know, um, for those that follow the Iowa Wild, it looks like um, Matthew Murray is going to shut out uh, a Wild team once again tonight. Because he's 44 seconds away from a shutout. So this guy just has a mastery over the wild organization. But, yeah, I think Volstead could get a start Wednesday, and I think he'll, he could be playing one of the back-to-backs on Friday or Saturday. Wouldn't that be crazy if those two squared off in the NHL against each other on Wednesday? A lot of history well, down there know, at the AHL level. It's possible, you know, with the shutout tonight for Murray, it'd be hard for them not to come back because I don't think Scott Wedgwood has been that good in goal for Dallas. And Ottinger is still injured. So, as Kevin's saying, we're up just went final there. So he does come away with the shutout, stopping all 23 shots from from the Iowa Wild tonight. So, congratulations. I believe that is his first NHL start. Am I I missing that? Or, uh, no, I'm sorry, my mistake. No, he did have well, five. He's celebrating left. in a hurry. Let's put it that way. Okay, so he's played in three games this year. So my my mistake on that. Okay, awesome. I didn't realize he had a little bit of a call up with the club already. So good for him. Congratulations there, Matt, on on uh, your first NHL shutout here tonight. Uh, wish it had been against somebody else, but 
What yeah, do you do? Don't do it again. <laughs> yeah. Now celebrate now, get hammered on Wednesday. How about that for us? Well, Kevin, as you and I are talking about here, uh the the Minnesota Wild now find themselves at seventeen oh I actually I think they're gonna be seventeen, eighteen and four now. I gotta refresh this screen after that loss here tonight. So no, I guess we're still at seventeen, seventeen and four. Uh they are in seventh place in the central division. If you're looking at I guess the top three, so they are a long way away right now, eleven points behind the Dallas Stars. Um you know we're at that point where almost every game is critical. I mean, you, you, you can't come away with four nothing losses or at three, uh, oh for three weeks at home. And th- those those kind of weeks can't happen anymore. No, they can't. You know, the the way the point structure is set up, it's very very hard to make up points, but very easy to lose them. And I think at this point, Minnesota's focus has to be on the wild card chase, and even that's going to be. Although they're a lot closer than that, there's also going to be a lot more teams to try to climb over to get into a wildcard spot. Absolutely correct with that. Well, Kevin, as you and I are talking here tonight, crazy winter weather blustering around the Midwest right now. Uh, I'm getting hammered by it a little bit more than you are right at this particular moment, but I'm sure you'll have much more snowy days coming your way than I will. So do we have a... uh, do we have a good snow-related, in any way, story related to the Minnesota Wild and their history? Oh, let me think on that. You know, to be honest with you, I've had some going to games as a hardcore fan and season tick holder since 2012. There's been some iffy nights driving back home. And what I can remember well was, uh, I believe it was a de- December 23rd, I think like 2010, 11, 12, somewhere around there. And I wanted to get rid of my ticket. Could not do it. I think I had two tickets. I tried to get rid of them, tried to get rid of them outside. Nobody's buying I thought, okay, if I've driven all the way up here, may as well go. I think my 50-minute trip took about an hour, 45 minutes back home. But, you know, I I hate winter weather. I hate the white-knuckle driving. But it's a little better, though, when when you're driving back from a hockey game and you can listen to the post-game show and just relax and know that home isn't going anywhere. And, you know, it's – it's not just a battle for the fans, you know. I, you know, our other show we had a baseball scout on tonight. Well, think of those hockey scouts that are working during the winter and having to drive on the highways and byways and on snow-covered roads just to get to the next city that they got to try to scout a game from. So it's. We can't get away from it. We manage to survive it, but yeah, it's um, it's just a way of life living up here in the north. Fantastic, Kevin Luco. Thanks for joining me this week. My pleasure.